0: Saying that uh, a month ago, uh, just to refresh your memory, uh, we considered the problem of history, where if God is sovereign in e- everything, and that's what Christians believe, or at least in the Presbyterian Church, we ought, and um, we asked the question, well, why is the world the way it is? And there seems to be a complete contradiction between the two. For if uh, even unbelievers will say if there is a God, he must be good and he must be in control. And yet people look at the world around and uh, uh, at best blame God for its disasters and wars and all the rest of it and disease and so on. The main thrust of the book of Habakkuk uh, and that passage in Isaiah and indeed the book of Revelation uh, as well in terms of prophecy is uh, always uh, uh, the simple universal pr- principle that God is dealing with humankind. And the basic principle is we are either on his side out of his grace or we are against him. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me And uh, what we read here is in the Old Testament is God dealing, with his people and with the nations around. And that's really uh, whatever else the scripture teaches. It's one of the basic principles uh, in the Bible, and that is the universal principle uh, of God's dealings with hu- all of humanity. I think today Habakkuk speaks to us um And it would do the Christian church generally well to stop and consider Habakkuk's concerns. In chapter 1, he's concerned and he complains to the Lord about his own people, that is, God's chosen people, Israel. And he says to the Lord there in chapter 1, Lord, how long have I got to cry out to you and you won't listen, you won't respond? How long have I got to go on? even when I cry out violence to you, you will not save. So Habakkuk's expecting a response, but he just hasn't got it. Uh, When you go into the grammar of the original language, it indicates that he's been praying this way to the Lord uh, for a long time. And what's recorded here is sort of a, a final plea. And what was the condition of Israel as Habakkuk saw it? And as we think about Israel, it's the church of the Old Testament. I want us to keep in mind the church of the New Testament era, and that includes the church today. All right? Uh, Habakkuk uh, says to me, says to us in the scriptures, he is speaking to the Lord, and he says, Lord, there is plundering, verse 3, chapter 1, there's plundering and violence, there's strife and there's contention. The law itself is powerless to protect. Why is that? That's because the nation is corrupt. We all know what happens when the law becomes corrupt. Nobody gets justice except those who control the law. Justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous. Perverse justice proceeds. (coughs) We live in a time, don't we, when at times there seems to be little justice. Uh, We hear of the corruption uh, in many lands. Uh, I've watched with a little bit of interest in uh, the goings-on in Britain at the moment with Rupert Murdoch's newspaper. Uh, I don't suspect that uh, Rupert Murdoch's given the command to do what happened, but he's caught up in the whole thing and he must be wondering why the sky is falling down at the moment <clears throat> there's corruption uh, there is corruption here in our own circumstances in the sense that um, I've been on the state committee of the, our state church at the state assembly level for a number of years or I was until I became ill and um, we could never get letters published in the press how about that the church officially could not get letters published in the press. Now occasionally they'll let one through. It depends entirely on what the issue is. If it's something to do with Islam, if it's something to do with homosexuality, same-sex marriages, abortion, euthanasia, we don't get press. It's a form of corruption. It's a form of of uh, Censorship, how well cries out, doesn't it? Our society accuses everything of being censored, but it doesn't seem to matter when the Christian church has something to say and it's censored. As we come to chapter 2, two principles, and if you look at verse 20 of chapter 2, first principle is the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth keep silent before him. That's the first principle. The second principle is that we cannot, cannot only understand books like Habakkuk and the chapter, or a whole of Isaiah for that matter, or uh, prophecies in Daniel and prophecies in Revelation uh, from the point of view of the kingdom of God. And many Christians don't believe that um, Jesus Christ is on his throne um, uh, for whatever reason. Uh, there are probably various, but uh, uh, one of the things that one form of teaching on the return of Christ yet to come is that he has to return to step up, step, set up his kingdom because when he was here the first time, he failed. Instead of becoming king <laughs> uh, physically... They put him on a cross and he died. And so there are Christians today uh, who believe that he's not on the throne, but that's not what Habakkuk says. Even before the crucifixion, where is the Lord? He's in his holy temple. That means he's enthroned on high. He's there. And Habakkuk's saying, the Lord's saying to Habakkuk, because I'm there, judgment is coming and you keep silent and wait that's what he's saying he's saying trust me and yet it's hard isn't it today when we're told just simply trust the lord let's look quickly at these woes the first one comes in verse from verse 6 to 8 Verse 6, halfway through, he says, Woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? Add to him uh, and to him who loads himself with many pledges. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? The, the context here, the way of illustrating the Lord is saying, I'm going to judge the Babylonians. And he's using the illustration of debt. He said, if you pile up too much debt, and we all know this, Eventually, the bank manager is going to knock on the door. And what? Want restitution of that debt. And so it is that those who, uh, in this case here, uh, uh, build empires, the Lord says, I'm going to come knocking just like the debt collector. And when we think about conquerors through the ages, what have they done? they've conquered, they've murdered, they've pillaged, they've destroyed the Lord says the debt's building up the debt's getting higher, deeper and deeper and deeper in here it's a prophecy, these woes here are a prophecy directed at Babylon in particular your debt is high Verse 8 says, you plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and of the city and of all who dwell in it. <clears throat> when the last um, economic crash came, I was appalled that in the United States um, a previous president had encouraged um, poor people who, who didn't have, have, have any uh, property assets to take out these cheap loans and get assets for themselves a home. And they did. And they were able to pay it off until the crash. And what did the government do in America? It paid the banks and every one of those people who had taken out those loans under a previous administration, lost their property. Because you have plundered many nations and the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and of the city and of all who dwell in it. When we abuse others to build our own empires, there's a warning for us and there's a warning for the church today. The second woe, verses 9 to 11. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster and give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples and sin against your soul. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beams from its timbers will answer. Woe to the one who exploits. And um, we often hear in our own news the word exploitation by banks and uh, governments and uh, circumstances. Now, it's always uh, strong rhetoric for political point, point scoring and all the rest of it. But how often is, uh, uh, are we guilty as a church and as people exploiting the weakness of others? Notice here, uh, in a political sense, in verse 9 Woe to him who covets gain for his house. Uh, He's exploiting, and Babylon certainly did that. And uh, when we go back in our minds to Israel in uh, Isaiah chapter 5, we find that Israel's doing exactly the same thing to its own people. Go and read them later this afternoon when you're at home. Read the two chapters. And see how they link up. One's aimed at Israel itself. The church was corrupt. And Israel was doing the same thing to its own people. But here it's Babylon. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his own house, that he may set his nest on high. The idea here is an eagle that's building up on a cliff where nobody can get to it. Now, why would somebody want to encircle their house, their home, their cities with a huge wall? The Chinese did it hundreds of years ago, the Great Wall of China, you can see it from space, to keep out the enemies. We plunder, but we're paranoid that somebody's going to take it from us. And that's exactly what the problem is here. Uh, The Babylonians, they keep on coveting, they keep on invading land after land, land after land, nation after nation, so that their, their borders are pushed out and out and out, so that nobody can come in. There's another woe uh, that follows. Woe to him, in verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed. The first three woes speak of violence and it's really strong stuff. And yet it's violence in Israel in the church of the Old Testament that motivates Habakkuk's first complaint in chapter 1. You know Isaiah chapter 1 verse 21 and 23 this part of the prophecy is speaking of faithful Israel but what and also what it has become how the faithful city that is jerusalem or the um, the nation of israel how the faithful city has become a harlot it was full of justice righteousness lodged in it but now murderers your silver has become dross your wine mixed with water your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves everyone loves bribes And follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless. Nor does the cause of the widow come before them. You see, the church of the Old Testament was violent. There was no justice. And that's precisely why the Lord brought Babylon over Israel. Verse 10 in this section speaks of shameful counsel to your house. And yet when we think of our land, our nation, think of our statutes and our laws, and think about how many of the churches officially, um, not necessarily the people in the congregations or all of the pastors of congregations, but in the terms of their hierarchical stand, think of how many churches uphold abortion and make no complaint. Think of how many churches make no complaint about homosexuality, but hope openly embrace it. Think of how many churches today deny Jesus Christ. (coughs) One of the trends in the United States and here, in this land, in churches today, is that uh, a congregation is no longer owned by the congregation. That is, they just come in and they give their money and they go home. They come in for excitement and entertainment or whatever it is, however they understand it, and they go home. Hillsong in Sydney, for argument's sake. is owned by a family, two families. All of the megachurches in the United States, as far as I know, maybe there are exceptions, I don't know, they're all owned by individuals. And there's empire building. And there is corruption. The tax man's been interested here in Australia in our so-called megachurches. One has to ask why. Shameful counsel. When our laws change to allow abortion. You know there was only one law in Victoria that disallowed abortion on demand. The state government, when it changed the law to allow abortions, it, it didn't establish a law. All it did was take the law away. Just simply remove the law. That's all it did. Our statutes today in Victoria do not mention abortion, period. It's gone, doesn't exist. Let me give you some details of numbers just on abortion alone. In all of the wars that the United States has been involved in from 1775 up to the Gulf War in 1991, that doesn't include the Second Iraq War and it doesn't include Afghanistan. 651,000. Have I got that right? Millions, 651 million soldiers have died. Have a guess how many babies have been aborted. In the United States, since 1926 to 2004, 52... Have I got these numbers right? I'm sorry, I've given you the wrong number for the soldiers that have died. 651,000 soldiers, American soldiers, have died since 19, what did I say? uh, 1775. Since 1775, 651,000 American soldiers have died. Since 1926, when abortions were recorded in America, Fifty-two million three hundred and two. Society complains about its soldiers dying but does it utter a word for the unborn? Australia wouldn't do anything like that, would it? In Australia's wars since 1860 every conflict we've been involved with up to the 1991 Iraq invasion, 103,000 to the nearest 1,000 soldiers. Australia has lost. That's according to something I got off the website from the the, um, war memorial in Canberra. I presume it's right and complete. 103,000 in all of the wars since 1860. In 2003, 50,000 abortions took place in hospitals. In 2004, 73,000 took place. And they're only the ones that are recorded in Medicare. And the estimate is there's another 25 or 30,000 over and above that. And on and on it goes bloodshed there's an invasion going on in our land woe to him who builds a town with blood with bloodshed he builds and establishes a city by iniquity behold it is not of the lord of hosts that the people's labor to feed the fire that is they're working for nothing everything they do crumbles the nation wearies themselves in vain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And even though all of this is going on, each section says something like that. Don't worry. What you see is not what you're going to get. That's what he's saying. For the earth was fi- will be filled with the knowledge of the, Lord, the glory of the Lord. Just as the waters cover the sea and when churches the Christian church stands up and speaks in favour of abortion today for argument's sake and same sex marriage what's it do it feeds evil advice that the people's labour to feed the fire Woe to the slave driver, verses 12 to 14. I've just touched on that. We'll leave that. Verse 15 uh, to 17. It's not woe to the slave driver here, but rather it's woe to the demoralizer. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbour, pressing him to your bottle. And on it goes, verse 16, you will be filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink. In other words, the Lord is going to turn Babylon in on itself. What it does to others, the Lord is going to bring upon a nation and totally destroy it morally and ethically. Because that's what Babylon has done to the church of God. Remember when Moses, Joshua, brought the people out? They wanted a king when they, after they entered the promised land. And uh, they wanted a king. Why do they want a king? Because they wanted to be like the other nations. Israel adopted the characteristic of the pagan nations around them. And so the Lord brought their destruction upon his own people through those enemies of the gospel. We too often, the Christian church, want to be like the world around us. One of the things I was reading in a magazine that I get from Scotland was a brief review of church situations in America. And um, America has always had radio preaching, but there's only one or two programs left now where preaching is done over the airways or services that have been recorded are broadcast over the uh, radio. What has replaced them? Music, Christian music albeit, and talkback radio. Now I don't know whether any of you listen to talkback radio on the ABC at times or even watch ABC Compass uh, on television but more often than not you don't hear the gospel. It's how to live better lives rather than lifting people My figures on abortion, I've just turned the page here in my notes and I'd forgotten I'd recorded it. In Australia here from 1970 to 2007, 1.928 million abortions have taken place compared to a stra- war dead of 103,000. How long will it be before the Lord responds and brings possible destruction and challenge to the church. Verse 18, to the end. There's a woe against idolatry. What profit is the image image that its maker would carve it? The molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mold should trust in it. To make mute idols. Woe to him who says to the wood, awake, to silent stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, yet there's no breath in it. Uh, Heather and I were in a congregation in Somerville on the Mornington Peninsula for a number of years, as you realize, or possibly realise. And in the news agents down there, there was a Touch Lotto counter. And on the counter where you bought your lotto ticket or whatever they were, was a statue of Buddha. And Buddha had one of the shiniest bellies I've ever seen. I could have gone down there and shaved in it. Because when you buy your ticket, you rub the belly of Buddha for good luck. That's idolatry. Pure and Simple. and christians file in i've stood in that news agency looking you know and watched christians file in and happily pat the buddha people who profess to be christians i mean publicly what profit is the image that its maker should carve it the molded image, a teacher of lies, rub Buddha's belly, you'll win. That's his lie. It creates barrenness in society. And we've got, it might not look like it, but my, from my perspective, and the way I've tried to observe our society today, and take it all on board, and it's difficult to do that because when you live it in history, you cannot read it. You need at least a gap of 100 years to to understand history and where it's gone and where it's going. Barrenness in our society. Barrenness doesn't mean necessarily something like uh, uh, being in a desert, how much fear and anxiety is in our society today? Violence on the streets is on the increase. I just heard on the news this morning coming up here that a lady in Sydney is being investigated at the moment because she advertised her two children on the internet for sale. Now, it sounds like the police are not going to charge her, but uh, she said it was just a joke. Maybe. barrenness this fear of Islam is Islam that nation that's going to sweep across the Christian church lock it down close its doors I don't know but unless the Christian church wakes up and turns to its Lord and Savior the Lord will speak think about our health system we've got probably one of the best health systems in the world yet it can't be paid for, barrenness, politicians don't know what to do about it, deadly diseases on the increase, economic collapses, we've now got the threat again of of nations becoming bankrupt, even the United States defaulting on its payments. Alcohol abuse in Australia in 2010, and again you can get this off the internet fairly simply. Alcohol abuse cost $36 billion in Australia in 2010. Tobacco cost the nation in 2005 $32 million. Okay, let me repeat that: 36 billion dollars for alcohol in 2010. In 2005, 32 million—quite a bit less—in 2005 for tobacco abuse. Why is it go- governments have got a campaign against smoking when alcohol's the real problem and real villain? Imagine the excise of alcohol. Let me finish by taking you to Romans chapter 8. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation, that's the created order, eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility because of human sin, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption or human sin into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So we've got this picture of creation groaning under the burden of evil in the world. Not only that... Verse 23, but we we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan. He's talking to Christians here. But sometimes I wonder whether the Christian church is gro- groaning, whether it is conscious at all of human sin and its own sin. We ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For we are saved in this hope, But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await for it with perseverance. Likewise, verse 26, the Spirit of God also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings. Even the Holy Spirit groans. And the Holy Spirit is the active voice of God in the world. And God is groaning under the burden of human sin. Creation, the Christian church, and the Holy Spirit are said to be groaning here, just as Habakkuk groaned. And just as you can hear God's justice in these verses of Habakkuk against evil, vice, and corruption, so too you can hear the voice of God groaning under the burden of human sin. I want to encourage us this morning, encourage us this morning, it's a bit hard to be encouraged from a chapter like this, and even that chapter 5 in Isaiah. But I want to encourage us with verse 20, and I'll stop here. But the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him the tin of lollies wasn't what it appeared to be may I encourage us what we see in the world is not what really is the Lord God Almighty is there governing it and working out your salvation and mine, Amen